before I look at that text, I just want to remind you that uh, Mark is portraying Jesus principally as the servant king. And of course, he is giving evidence of who Jesus is, and he does that by what he actually does uh, as a human being. And once, remember, Jesus calls his disciples to follow him, and his disciples then are learning everything they could about who Jesus is and what that would look like in their own lives as they serve the Lord. And then finally, of course, as the Lord ascends into heaven and the Lord commissions his disciples to go now and do what he did because he left them with unfinished work to do. So, so far, uh, we have seen Jesus, the servant Savior, perform at the greatest degree of excellence by displaying his authority in his teaching over demons. And of course, uh, we have entered into the narrative last time in our text to experience Jesus as the perfect servant who cares about the physical and the spiritual needs of people without being sidetracked from his main mission. And of course, that main mission is to preach the gospel of the kingdom. So today, I want, I want to go back up to Capernaum, uh, uh, the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee, northern Israel, and let's look at the display of compassion uh, that really is beyond comparison when Jesus uh, is displayed here, the way that Jesus is displayed here in our text. The attitude uh, toward those afflicted with diseases was often quite different, uh, especially the disease of leprosy, which we're going to see in this passage of Scripture. Uh, see, leprosy was, uh, there was a marked contrast between how Jesus dealt with a person with leprosy and how the rabbis, and really the local people, would deal with a particular d- disease. It's, it was recorded um, that a rabbi would not even eat an egg purchased in the street where someone had leprosy. And then, of course, other rabbis and people were known to throw stones at lepers uh, in order to keep them away. But, of course, Jesus demonstrates compassion to overcome uncleanness and overcome uh, the just the, the condition of a person represented by leprosy. It was uh, Charles Spurgeon who said that he thought that leprosy is God's appointed picture of what sin is. Uh, it is a, he said it was living death, a source of misery, the, the center of defilement, and that's exactly what sin is. And so this is a great picture of that. So what is the historical situation of the leper. Uh, let me lay that down before I look at what we're going to see in the text. Uh, leprosy really was a terrible skin dis- disease that caused the person's flesh to scar and decay. Lepers are afflicted with a chronic infectious disease caused by bacterium uh, similar to tuberculosis bacillus. And the disease is manifested by changes in the mucous membranes. 
and the peripheral nerves of the person. So really, people suffering from leprosy often couldn't feel pain, physical pain, because leprosy destroys the the body's nerve endings. So leopards would frequently uh, damage parts of their bodies, like fingers and toes, without even realizing it. They couldn't even feel it. And so many leopards were missing whole chunks of skin on their bodies, leaving their insides exposed. And not only, of course, did they look frightful, but they smelled badly too because of the stench of rotting flesh that the stench was so powerful. And as I did some investigation on this particular disease, because I want you to get really the impact of what Jesus actually did here, that there are really three kinds of leprosy. There is the nodular uh, type of leprosy, and of course, it, it, it usually went like this. A person began to become exhausted and f- have pain in their joints, and then they started seeing discolored patches appear on their body uh, with little nodules forming, the skin would begin to thicken, the nodules would gather in the folds of the cheeks and the nose and the lips and the forehead, and the whole appearance actually of the face was changed until the person loses human appearance. The nodules would grow larger and larger, they would ulcerate, and then of course they would become foul discharges. The eyebrows would fall out, the eyes, the vocal cords, the hands, the feet, are all affected by the um, the ulcers, and of course, uh, the average course of that disease was about nine years. It ends in, of course, mental decay, coma, and ultimately death. The sufferer becomes utterly repulsive to uh, others and even himself or herself. And then there is the anesthetic leprosy and it had the same stages as the one I just mentioned but only this time it affected more of the nerve trunks the nerve endings that it infected areas uh, where the person would lose sensation and of course would be inflicted with serious injury because they couldn't feel their toes and their fingers uh, and their muscles would begin to waste away their tendons would uh, tendons would contract until their hands became like claws they uh, then progressive loss of fingers and toes until the, at the end a whole hand or a whole foot can just drop off. The duration of this kind of leprosy was about 20 to 30 years. Uh, it's a kind of terrible progressive death of the body. And then there was a third kind of leprosy, mostly, uh, most likely more represented in what we have in the text is that the nodular and the anesthetic leprosy were mixed together. All right, it was the most common type of leprosy, and no doubt there were many leopards like this in Palestine. However, leprosy may include, of course, other skin diseases as mentioned in the Old Testament. So there can be varying degrees and stages of leprosy, but in the end, all leprosy would have social and religious consequences. So since leprosy was highly contagious, rules 
for separating from leopards, of course, became apparent to most of the people who understood this disease. It was kind of humiliating for the person having leprosy that lepers were banished from healthy people's presence to live in communities with only other lepers. Usually, the communities were uh, located and isolated in caves. And when going out to a larger community, lepers were required to wear bells to alert people of their presence. Healthy people were, who encountered a leopard were supposed to call out unclean leper, and lepers themselves were supposed to call out unclean about themselves as well. Now, if you take your Bible for a moment, look at Leviticus in the Old Testament, because it does mention lepers there in Leviticus. And it says in Leviticus chapter 13, in verse 45 and 46, what is going on with a leper there and how they're to be uh, looked at and treated. And it says in Leviticus 13, verse 45, as for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be covered and he shall cover his mustache and cry unclean, unclean. Verse 46, he shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean and he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. All right, so that means that this leper had uh, quite a lonely existence. But it had to do with, really, the holiness of God and things that were clean and unclean. Because if we remember in the Old Testament, large parts of the Old Testament, especially in Leviticus, the Lord says there, listen, I am the Lord God, consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, right, and you shall not make yourselves unclean, all right? And then it lists a bunch of things in Leviticus. So we see terms scattered throughout Leviticus as holy, as clean, as unclean, and there becomes a contrast between holy, common things, clean things, and unclean things. And the priests were given specific responsibilities to distinguish between what is holy, what is separated unto God and clean, what is common, and what's the difference between the clean and the unclean. If you go back a chapter in Leviticus, look at Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10. It says there, it says, And so as to make a distinction between the holy and and the profane between the unclean and the clean. Now, why was that put there? Because a person could not approach God unless they were in the category of the clean. And we know that the clean stayed clean and became clean was through the sacrificial system. Now, I'm not going to go into that right now. So clean things can be made unclean if they are polluted. Holy items may be defiled and become common, even polluted. Therefore, they become unclean, and 
that person who becomes unclean and the person would lepros- with leprosy would be considered unclean, they could not go into the presence of God. They couldn't even approach God in any way because of the leprosy. So, see, the pollution degrades the clean into unclean. The unclean and the holy are really two states which never must come in contact with each other. So contact between the unclean things and holy things actually becomes disastrous. You cannot become come into the presence of God and be rendered by people or by the priest as unclean. And so that becomes... Uh, some of the things the Old Testament says about those people who were unclean. Now, that means the leper was somebody who not only socially could not be amongst people, but they could not even go to the temple and worship. They could not bring their sacrifices to God. They could not do any of those things because they were unclean and they became unapproachable to the presence of of a holy God as God laid out in the Old Testament. So that means that holiness is a state of grace to which men are called by God, and it is attained through obeying the law, of course, of the Old Testament, and carrying out rituals such as the sacrifices. And of course, the Old Testament goes into great detail about how to do that and how to uh, have your sins forgiven and how to be, if you are made unclean, how to be made clean. And so uncleanness is a substandard condition to which men uh, descend through bodily processes and, of course, sin. So every Israelite had a duty to seek release from uncleanness through washing and sacrifice because uncleanness is quite incompatible with the holiness of the covenant people of God. Now, I lay all that out because as we look at our text, we are going to see that there is no other disease that reduces a human being to, for so many years to such a hideous condition and a hideous wreck as the disease of leprosy. So, let's look at our text now, back in Mark chapter 2, with that in your mind, and some of those things that I believe are important to bring to your attention. Now we're going to look at the text in Mark chapter 1, the last section in this chapter. And of course, the first thing we see is the lowly, I'm calling it the lowly petition of the leper. Look at it in verse number 40. It says, And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, the leper, in his approach to Jesus, was actually breaking the law. And he was actually breaking custom. Leopards remember, were considered ceremonially unclean, so were required, at least in public, to stand at least 50 paces away from everyone while moving in public 
places while they're proclaiming that they were lepers and unclean, and so people would stay away from them. So in other words, as he approaches Jesus, his approach is very scandalous. He is unclean in himself, polluting every person or thing that would touch him. And if they did, they would become unclean. Too foul to be touched by anyone else, so no one else could help them. See, he was beyond human help. His skin was foul. His joints were rotting. His fingers, hair, and teeth were probably falling out or gone already. And death is crouching at his door second by second. See, he is completely and utterly alone with no one to help him. That becomes very important in this text. So his scandalous approach could mean that they could scurry him out of that area and get him away from people because he was unclean. The law would have been behind them. Custom would have been behind them. The health conditions of people who were concerned would have been, of course, a motivator for that to take place. But look what happens. He approaches Jesus with the posture of humility. It says he beseeches him. Right? He begs, in other words, for mercy, and then he falls down on his knees before Jesus. He doesn't go up and grab Jesus or touch him. Now, that's an important part of that narrative because he knew that he could not. He, he went as far as he could. He presented himself before the Lord. And he approached, secondly, Jesus with the position of submissive faith. Now, notice what it says in verse 40. It says in this passage that he falls on his knees before him saying, look at what he says. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So he fully believes in the power and ability of Jesus to heal his leprosy with a single word. He knew enough about what Jesus was doing in the region to be able to think nothing about, about nothing else except Jesus. And he heard what happened over there with demons being cast out. He heard about Peter's mother-in-law being healed. And it's getting back to him, and he's beginning to think, knowing the Old Testament, about when the Messiah come and what he would do, that this must be God. No one's ever heard anything like this happening. And so, so he fully believes in the power and the ability of Jesus to heal his leprosy and to do it with a single word because he says this in our passage, you can make me clean, meaning that he understood that Jesus had everything that he needed to make him clean. He said that you are able, and but then he says this. You are able, but your willingness to he- heal me, I will leave that up to your wisdom. That's how it's phrased here in the Bible. In verse 40, it says, if you are willing. So this becomes, uh, if you are willing, you can heal me. I have no doubt about that. I have no doubt you can heal me, but see, the problem for him was the willingness. 
See, the leopard is not really voicing doubt in regard to the will of, of Jesus, but his own humble submission to Jesus. He leaves his healing to the will of Jesus. In other words, if in his superior counsel, it would be better for him not to heal him than the leopard was willing, if Jesus so willed to be rem- to remain in a living death. He was willing to do that. That's how it is packaged here. So this, this leopard has incredible faith in the ability of Jesus, and he lives up, he leaves up to Jesus the divine prerogative to either will it or not will it. In other words, if Jesus so desired to withhold from him his request of healing, so be it. This man's humble submission, placing his own sad case completely in the hands of Jesus, should remind us, it should remind us that all true children of God must always place themselves in God's hands completely. And that really marks faith of its highest kind. A petition like this can be addressed only to a divine helper. Remember, this man had no help. And, of course, one who, whose will is the very will of a loving and a wise God. So since leprosy was incurable those days and even in, in, in advanced stages is still beyond cure in our days we see why Mark uh, chooses this miracle as one that exhibits the power and the compassion of Jesus in its highest degree see that the leopard is a parable of sin the outward visible sign of it in more, uh, an inmost spiritual condition. If we look at what the sinner is, the sinner is somebody who is wretched, right? Someone who is poor, someone who is blind, someone who is spiritually helpless, someone who is defiled by sin and unclean, unapproachable to God. How could they help themselves? How can anybody do anything to help themselves? They cannot. They must come to the one who can help them. And who is the one who can help them? Especially those who are beyond help. All of us are beyond help. The only one who could possibly help us is Jesus. And that's where faith and repentance comes in, that we believe that Jesus can cleanse us and make us clean, can make us right before God, can clean us from all defilement of sin, open our eyes to see, make us poor wretched sinners into saints that now can live and serve the Lord. So this passage is now focusing on what Jesus actually does. What does he do? How does he will this situation? He's got the ability to heal the leprosy. In the mind of the leper, he, he, he's already convinced of that because, because of what he's heard and what he knows. And he, now he comes to Jesus alone with no help, and he's prostrating himself before Jesus. 
And what happens? Well, now we see the compassionate response of Jesus, the servant Savior, in verse number 41. Notice what it says, moved with compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing. And he was cleansed. See, it is amazing that a leopard even made his way to Jesus through the crowd. But if you think about that, he kind of had his own gangway situation, right? Make a hole? People made the hole automatically when they knew he was a leper. So he had a clean and a clear path to Jesus because of his disease, and people scurried away from him. And it says there, he got his attention. And Jesus responded, and it says he was moved with compassion. This is the strongest of three of the Greek words that is, that is used in the New Testament for compassion. And it means to have the viscera moved inside of you. The, the very heart and the lungs and the liver move inside of you by what you our experience. So the compassion of Jesus is that it means, it seems that his heart swelled, his, his chest began to beat heavily, and his tears began to swell up in the eyes. The whole being of Jesus was stirred by this man who came before him. In fact, uh, in some translation, they would translate this word compassion as anger. Uh, now, if the word means anger, it can only mean that Jesus was indignant at the misery of the man, or he was filled with righteous indignation against the ravages of this fallen world and what sin has actually done to it and brought in diseases like leprosy. So, here we have a display of the feelings that moved Jesus. And Jesus was stirred in his heart by the submissive faith, by the condition, and by the humble request of the leper. And so compassion not only implies a pained feeling inside of you at the sight of suffering, but in addition, a strong desire to relieve and remove the suffering. That's what the word includes here. In fact, every place you, you see where Jesus felt compassion, he, there's always a response. Like in, in Mark 6, where when we get there, we're going to find there that Jesus saw the sheep without a shepherd, and then it says he felt compassion on them, and what did he do? He began to teach them many things, it says. They needed to be taught. All right, And then later on in Mark, we're going to see when the people were following Jesus around for three days and they had nothing to eat, Jesus looked at the people and felt compassion on them. And what did he do? He performed the miracle and fed them, right? And the Bible says, and they ate and were satisfied and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. So how does Jesus, in our passage... Meet the need of the leopard. Well, he did the unthinkable thing. 
He went against every norm, every protocol there was in the ancient world. And what did he do? Feeling of compassion turned into action. And, and in some sense, someone really doesn't have compassion unless there's action. And this is what Jesus is beginning. Of course, remember, he's teaching his disciples. He's showing them what compassion does and how it acts and what it accomplishes. Of course, they could not do some of the things that he could do, but nonetheless, they were going to be given ability to do things that they thought they never could do. So what did Jesus do? Notice what it says specifically in our text in verse number 41. It says he had compassion and Jesus stretched out his hand and here's what he should have never done. He touched him. He touched him. But he not only touched him, the scripture says he moved with compassion. He moved and stretched out his hand and touched him. He did not wait for the leper to come near toward him. He made the move. So compassion makes the move towards the person and especially towards those who we normally would avoid. Compassion on someone you normally would avoid. And of course, there's no one more avoidable than a leper. Socially, religiously, personally, they were definitely someone that you avoided. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. And so you see, there could be no mistake from the scripture that Jesus moved toward him in compassion to touch him. Now, what was the big deal that Jesus touched him? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Well, if Jesus touched him before he was declared clean by the priest who officiated in the temple in Jerusalem, Jesus would have been considered unclean and the man also would have been considered unclean until officially pronounced cleared and clean of leprosy by the priest. That was the job of the priest. He was the only one who could do that. So you see, see, leprosy defiled the person and made that person unclean. Now, take your Bible and turn to Numbers chapter 5 for a moment. I want you to see something, right? Because leprosy definitely made a person unclean, so it removed the person from the general population and moved them outside the camp. Now, in Numbers chapter 5, verse 1 through 4, notice what it says. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, verse 2, Numbers 5, verse 2, Command the sons of Israel that they send away from the camp every leper and everyone having a discharge and everyone who is unclean because of a dead person. You shall send away both male and female. You shall send them outside the camp so that they will not defile their camp where I dwell in their midst. 
the sons of Israel did so and sent them outside the camp, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses, thus the sons of Israel did. Now, that's one passage of Scripture. There's other passages of Scripture that deal with leprosy, and one other one is found in Second Chronicles that deals with King Uzziah. In chapter 26, if you want to turn there, verse 19 and 20, and because I want you to see what happens to Uzziah. Now, he's a king. He's on the top of the food chain, right? There's no one goes higher than a king. So a king says what he needs to say, and it takes place. Well, in this passage, in Second Chronicles, we see that leprosy excluded a person socially and spiritually, no matter who they were. In Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 19, it says, but Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. And while he was enraged with the priests, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord, beside the altar of incense. As Uriah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead. And they hurried him out of there, and he himself also hastened to get out because the Lord had smitten him. In verse 21, King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. He lived in a separate house, being a leper. He was cut off from the house of the Lord, and Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. So his, his son took over the leadership of being a king while he was put away and set outside. So, so that means this that a leper lived alone without the fellowship of family, without his wife, without his children, without his home, without his community, without his assembly, and he lived as a homeless person, isolated from all human contact, and even those within the leopard community were very careful not to touch each other because of the levels and degrees of leprosy each person had. So this person was alone. And so now, all this coming together, we see the character of God displayed as compassion. And it, it turns into ability and the power of God coupled with the com- in the command mode where Jesus responded to the leopard. And notice what he says in our passage in verse number 41. He said to him, I am willing. Now that's an incredible statement by the Lord Jesus Christ. I am willing, be cleansed. Those, that's a command. I am willing is not, but be cleansed is definitely a command. Immediately it says in verse 42, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. But I want you to notice here the willingness of God to cleanse and immediately heal the unholy, the helpless, the sinner who comes in faith and believing in the ability of Jesus to, in this case, heal, and, of course, in a spiritual case, to save, ultimately, from the salvation and condemnation of sin. That Jesus, God's own son, 
had the power in himself to cleanse the leopard and make him perfectly clean immediately. So Jesus' deity shines through the veil of his flesh right here in this passage of Scripture. That's what we see here. And like any ordinary rabbi, Jesus is not polluted by the leper's disease. Rather, the leopard is cleansed and healed by Jesus' contagious holiness. That as he touched him, the man became completely, immediately healed and made, was made undefiled and now made holy before God, able to approach God, able to now get back with his family and his children and his community and his assembly. Everything came together when he met Jesus. So Jesus here becomes the reflection of the Old Testament revelation of God's character. And if you remember, what God said to Moses concerning his character when he gave Moses the second set of the stone tablets. Remember the first set he threw on the people and shattered them. Now God gives him the second set and reminds Moses of this. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord... The Lord God, compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Who said that the Old Testament God is just a God of wrath? They haven't read the Old Testament. It says here that he is a God of compassion. That means, remember, compassion always leads to action. He's a God who's slow to anger. He's a God who is gracious, who's abounding in loving kindness and truth. There's no end to the, the bottom of the barrel. It just keeps coming. There's no end. See, Mark really gives us evidence proving Jesus' heart was ever filled with the merciful kindness and the feelings of pity for the distress uh, of every description. The compassion of Jesus is one of the deepest and richest and most comforting of all his Savior qualities. That means it doesn't matter who the person is, how much they have sinned, how much their life has been undefiled, how helpless they are. Jesus is willing because he is a compassionate God. He's willing. He's already willing. See, we're the ones who are not so willing. But if you come in faith, he's willing. That's why it says in Scripture, anyone who cometh to me, I will no wise cast out. Why? Because we serve and we have a willing God who is filled with compassion towards our spiritual state. He wants to rescue us from hell. He wants to cleanse us and make us holy and clean. He wants to make us fit for his presence. That's what he wants to do. He's willing to do that. See, God wants to, 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 to develop also in his own servants hearts that are moved with compassion towards people, especially those who we normally would avoid. Right? They need the truth. Just, just think a minute. What type of person in our society would you feel most uncomfortable associating with? Whatever that person may be, whoever that person may be, that's the person that we may need to move towards 
with compassion because they need our help the most. And they need the help of the Lord the most. And you're the ones who can, you're the one, and I'm the one who can point them to that person because he is the only one who can rescue them. There's no one else who can. So see, Jesus now in our text moves from this posture of compassion to give this cleansed leper a stern warning. And notice what it says in verse number 42, after he says immediately the leper the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. In verse 43 it says, and he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. So he, he sends him away. He says, don't, don't you tell anyone what just happened here. Actually, the word sternly really, it, it means to flare the nostrils. This is, this is a, Jesus moves from compassion to stern, flared nostrils. Go! Go from me now. Now, why this stern command in verse number 43? It is, un, it is unlikely that Jesus wanted the man to be silent in order that the miracle should not become known. Why? Because it was done before a crowd of people. The crowd's going to make it known. right? It's, go, it's going to spread. The reason why Jesus wanted to rush him off and seal his lips is found in the rest of verse number 44 where it says this. He said, Go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So this is what he is doing here. He is saying, there's, here's one explanation for descending the man away quickly. That the news of how this man got rid of his leprosy was not to reach the priest in Jerusalem until... They have in all their legal form pronounced him clean of leprosy. In other words, the priest to whom he will present himself in Jerusalem is not to know the man's story until afterward. So he wants the man to leave and go right down to Jerusalem. So it is, now it doesn't tell us whether he actually did that. But, of course, most likely he did do that because of the stern warning of Jesus. And we notice some things here. Now, remember, he was in northern Israel. It's 94 miles to Jerusalem by foot or cart or donkey or however they got there. All right? This is no, like, light traveling here. And so he, I believe he makes the trek to Jerusalem to present himself to the officiating priest in the temple at Jerusalem, that was intention because it says, but go, show yourself to the priest. That was, you know, something that he commanded him to do. And of course, this was according to Leviticus chapter 14. The officiating priest had to receive the man's offering. So, in other words, it says in Leviticus, and offer for yourselves, or it says in Mark, you'll offer for yourself uh, for your cleansing what Moses commanded. So, we're seeing here the Lord is saying, listen, do what Moses commanded. It's still in effect. But the procedure took up to almost a week to complete. For example, 
the first act that the person would do is that the priest, on the day the man presents himself, would consist of a physical examination plus the offering of two live birds and the ceremonies connected with those offerings. So the first act, after the priest examined him, would re- if he was completely was cleansed, uh, it, it would mean that he would be restored, the, uh, the cleansed leper would be restored back to the people, back to normal life. And then the second act, which would take later on the seventh and eighth day of the ceremonies, offering of two lambs, uh, and in case of somebody who didn't, couldn't afford the lambs, there were other procedures that they would go through that they could offer. And all the ceremonies that accompanied that, the second act uh, restored the cleansed leopard to his religious prerogatives in temple worship. So see, it must be the priest that does that. So the offering should be regarded really as a thanksgiving offering. The birds were, of course, symbolic of physical cleansing, and, uh, of course, the lambs were symbolic of the trespass and the sin offering, and that's the sacrificial spiritual cleansing of the person, right, that they offered in Jerusalem. So this is what was going on here, And but why did the Lord actually tell him to do that? Well, if you notice the last part of verse number 44, it says, Go do what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. To who? To the priests. To the priests. So there's a couple things going on here. First, remember, Jesus had not come to do to destroy the law, remember? But it says in Matthew 5:17, he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So he's honoring the law of Mosaic. uh, Moses still in effect and secondly Jesus sends this man to the priest as a testimony as a witness as to how this leopard got rid of his leprosy and by whom did this occur so they'll have a real live testimony regarding the time the Messiah had come and his kingdom had now been brought near and his kingdom was being manifested by the healings that the Messiah would do when he was present on the earth. Everybody was looking for those kind of things. The priests especially were looking for that. So when the priests ultimately rejected the Messiah, they will reject him supported by indisputable, indisputable evidence. This man was a leper. The priests are the ones who said so. He was in a leper community, and now he comes to Jerusalem, and he's completely cleansed. And now the priests have to declare him clean and undefiled. So, this exhilarated, cleansed leopard, what does he do? Look at what's recorded in Scripture. Right now, either this is zealous gone wild, or this is outright disobedience. Look what it says in verse number forty-five. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely, and spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. 
I think, you know, whether you, you consider this disobedience or consider this just so much zeal and being alone and in a leper community and now everything restored back then he just couldn't stop he couldn't stop telling people I think he did that in the region heading down to Jerusalem to take care of what the Lord told him to take care of so this is a great example and, and notice in scripture that he this spread so rapidly that Jesus could no longer go to public places. He had to stay out in the wilderness. But notice what it says. In the wilderness, people kept coming to him from all sides. Even though he was restricted to desolate places, some, remember, came for his teaching, came to be healed. Some came out of curiosity. But they came, the Bible says, in great numbers they came. Because of the compassion of Jesus, because this this is something was going on that was so different and hoped for for such a long time uh, in history, and now we see the servant Savior uh, coming on the scene and providing something by His compassion that no one else has has ever done. I don't know if there was ever any he- recorded healings of leprosy up until this point. So this is an incredible thing. Somebody who usually got leprosy ended up dying in a leper community. So all this moving us toward being servants. being uh, It's not easy being a servant, especially to others in the body of Christ. As someone once observed that the true test of whether we are a servant is that we don't mind being treated like one. And Jesus, of course, exemplifies a servant uh, and a compassionate one like no other. And so serving compassion moves toward people in their need with the desire to help, especially those that we would normally avoid. Servant compassion is alert also to the little things that need to be done and then doing them. Servant compassion understands that the most valuable things we can share with our, with really others is ourselves. Our time, our talent, our gifts, our energies in serving one another. And that means a touch a note, a word, a listening ear, someone who's, who's willing to move forward and help someone or talk to someone or listen to someone, as simple as that, because they're moved with compassion to serve the people. And then of ultimately serving compassion, never lose sight of the not just the physical but the spiritual because they want to point people to Jesus who is able and willing to cleanse from all spiritual defilement and restore one who comes by faith to a right relationship with God. He can make the clean, the unclean clean. And as it says in Galatians, you were called to be free, 
but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So all this is pointing to us as Christ being the servant Savior that ultimately he wants his disciples, he wants uh, his followers to exemplify the same things that he's teaching, to be those kind of people, to be people who are servants who have compassion and who want to do something about needs of people, the, both the physical and the spiritual needs of people, not leave either one out if you can. And that's what we're supposed to do. We have to work that in our own body, and then we have to move it out towards others who have not heard the gospel yet. That's what we ought to be doing. That's what we ought to be learning. And not isolating ourselves and keeping ourselves away from people. We need to be moving in towards people, right? And believe me, when you do that, are you going to get hurt? Yes. Are you going to be misunderstood? Yes. Are you going to be taken for granted of? Yes. All of it. It doesn't matter doesn't matter because you know ultimately you are living and wanting to serve Christ who sees what you're doing and you are exemplifying a characteristic that he wants you to have and that is so important in the church and that's the compassion of a servant of God who wants others to know who Christ is I pray that for us I really do we not lose sight of that in these days which everything is everything seems to push us away from being isolated we're behind computers all day alone we have iPads and iPhones that isolate us right we don't have to see anybody we can text them we don't have to call anybody we can email them and so see that personal contact is uh, that that breaking of personal contact is not good it is not good it's not healthy in the church it's not at all. Eyeball to eyeball. Face, nose to nose, face to face. And if, if, you, if you can't do that, call somebody on the phone. Is that something like that is foreign to people? Calling someone on the phone? See, we cannot go the, with the current of the world. We cannot. We have to swim upstream. And we have to say no we're not going to go that way. Yes, we use the technology for our good, for the good, but, but, but then we lay it aside. And, and don't use it to say, well, I can just text them. And, you know, and, and believe me, I like texting probably more than anything because it's simple, it's to the point, it's short. It's, it's, you know, but it's, it does not replace human contact, right? when you see someone's body language and you see their facial expression and then you hear the tone of their voice and, and everything's going on there. You cannot do that through media. Um, that's my op humble opinion and observation. But So we have to fight that with everything we got. And young people, you're more vulnerable than us older folk. Right? Because it's such a part of your what's going on in your life. You've got to learn how to use it right really do and uh, use it for good and not for keeping away from people and isolating yourself but use it to uh, make sure that you have plenty of human contact and uh, out there with uh, people get your throw yourself out there be out there and uh, and if you can resist emailing and texting to get on the phone do that and if you can do better go visit somebody go see somebody 
do something like that. Please, let's, let's make sure that we don't go that route. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, this morning I do thank you uh, again for this passage of Scripture. And Lord, just looking at who you are and what you've done, and, and Lord, how incredible, gracious, and kind, and compassionate that you display yourself uh, and how you're showing us who the Father is from the Old Testament and how he's always worked with his people and how he's always been long-suffering. He's always been gracious. He's always been compassionate. Oh, Lord, I pray that your hand of mercy would not only show us that to give you, give us as your people a great love and appreciation for you, but I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our life. Make us feel the glory of the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ within our hearts so we can share it with others. Lord, make us servants who have compassion and that move in action. Enable us, Lord, to do that for the sake of the glory of your name, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the sake of our own maturity and our own being stretched out of our comfort zone to do your will. I pray that you would do that in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for those who come today. I pray you bless those who could not make it today because of different reasons. And I pray, Lord, that you would put a thrill in their heart to not want to be away again. And, Lord, I pray you keep the weather. Uh, give us some warmer weather, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>